EM Board Bombs. Welcome back to another EM Board Bombs video podcast. We're just on a roll with these things now. It's like an assembly line of podcasts. We welcome back Marlena with Siski Kuhn. Dr. Doctor, thank you for joining us. Hi, happy to be here on video for the first time. I know, so much fun. If you're wondering what Marlena looks like, this is it. It's like this big reveal, all three of us. <laughs> this podcast. I, I had one person the other day, uh, a colleague I work with who listens to our podcast forever. Obviously, they have not met Iltifad yet. Um, and they said, I had no idea Iltifad looked like that. I was like, there's pictures of us like on our website. And they're like, I, I know, I just, <laughs> I just haven't gone to the website. I just only listen to the podcast. I'm like, okay, I guess that makes sense. He's like, I had no idea he had this long beard. <laughs> I guess we don't talk about his beard enough. We don't. We don't. We'll have to start doing that more. Yeah. Anyway, this is Ian Board Bombs, the podcast that provides you entertaining medical education. There's really nothing like it. Uh, we do 15 to 20 minute episodes, sometimes shorter. If we're feeling talkative, it's around 20 minutes. <laughs> but in that nice short episode, you gain pearls for your boards or your upcoming test, as well as hashtag EM life. So Let's dive into the STEM and we'll just take this from here. Got an interesting topic today, something that no one really gets excited about to, uh, you know, take care of. Let's be real. This isn't a, a complaint that everyone runs to sign up for, but uh, it needs to be talked about. So we have a 27-year-old male arriving to your ED with abdominal pain. He's had bloody stool, abdominal cramping, and diarrhea now for a few weeks. He states it started to hurt as well when he has a passing bowel movement. He'll have pain in that area too. He states he's tried numerous rounds of antibiotics. In fact, he went to an urgent care who gave him a shot of ceftriaxone and a prescription for azithromycin. That may sound familiar to our listeners. Yep. He states this did not help. Shockingly, he went to another urgent care who did two shots of ceftriaxone <laughs> and then did a shot of dexamethasone, which he states helped for about a day. Then he went to a third urgent care <laughs> last week and they gave him ciprofloxacin, two shots of steroids, one in each hip to be exact. And he is still taking the cipro with no relief. He asked you why he was swapped for strep throat, even though he has no fever or sore throat. You state that it would take too long to explain. He states that this has been going on for two to three weeks. His heart rate is in the 110s on arrival. He has no fever, but he does have focal abdominal pain in the left lower quadrant. Which of the following is the best next step? Choice A, CT scan of the abdomen without contrast. Choice B, rectal exam. Choice C, CBC with CRP and ESR. Choice D, C diff culture. What's the correct answer? The correct answer here is B, do the rectal exam. Do the rectal exam. Part of the physical exam here. That is always a correct answer on the test. Either get more history or do a physical exam. Mm -hmm. Even if you know that CT scan is going to be the next step of this patient, we'll talk about where CT fits in here, but this particular CT scan doesn't have contrast. And therefore, in my opinion, it is a worthless CT scan. <laughs> of the abdomen. Uh, you should pretty much almost always be getting your CT scans of the abdomen and pelvis with contrast, please. Otherwise it's not helpful. And then someone probably is listening saying, what about the creatinine? <laughs> We're not that, yeah, that. we can't fit that into a short episode, honestly. No, we can't. No, I would get too heated. All I right. Hey, why don't we <laughs> dive into what Rapid Bombs is about and our special opportunity here for our premium podcast and uh, Marlena, take it away. 
Yeah. So, you know, this is something that we've covered a couple different ways on our Rapid Bombs podcast, which if you have somehow never heard us talk about before, EM Rapid Bombs already has over 360 episodes, basically more than one a day for a year. You get rapid learning in short bursts, multiple episodes released a week. They're like two to three minutes each, very focused and give you pearls on a very specific topic in a question format. It's like daily trip learning as opposed to bolusing, which would be cramming before your test. Don't do that anymore. Just sign up for EM Rapid Bombs. Awesome. All right, so let's dive into this. We're talking about, obviously, inflammatory bowel disease today and really more so focusing on a little bit of Crohn's because that's a little more systemic and has those crazy extra intestinal findings in the skin and elsewhere. So, Marlon, why don't you take us away and and dive into inflammatory bowel disease and what the background we need to know, just the basics, what we need to know. Yeah. So inflammatory bowel disease, don't get like bogged down in the nitty gritty. You don't need to know as much as you did back when you were a med student. Just know that like these... Um, Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis are the autoimmune diseases that we are talking about when we talk about inflammatory bowel diseases. So like he said, most of us is going to focus on Crohn's, but I'll mention some differences with ulcerative colitis. So patient epidemiology is going to be really similar between the two. There's kind of like this bimodal distribution. Most patients present in their teens to early 20s. I think the common age that gets cited is 15 to 22. But then there's like another peak of presentation of patients in their like mid 50s to 60s as well. For the pathology, there's like a couple buzzwords that you probably remember from med school. So um, patients have to get an endoscopy for diagnosis of this. Mm -hmm. Crohn's disease can go anywhere from the mouth to anus, the entire elementary tract. Yeah, that's a word. That's that's elementary, dear Watson. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. <laughs> the GI tract, the whole GI tract can be involved. Yeah. Um, you have these things called skip lesions, uh, where the inflammatory ulcers are interposed with like normal mucosa because they're not continuous. That creates like a cobblestone appearance of the mucosa due to those adjacent ulcerations and, and normal tissue. So specifically on the endoscopy, you're going to see quote unquote longitudinal deep mucosal ulcerations in Crohn's Mm. disease. Mm -hmm. And another buzzword that you probably remember is transmural. Uh, That's because in Crohn's disease, the lesions can go through all of the layers and that's why they can penetrate the bowel wall, causing the complications like abscesses and fistulas. Um, And most patients with Crohn's disease are going to have small bowel involvement, especially the ileum. That's the place that commonly gets talked about. Crohn's disease. So different from that, ulcerative colitis involves only the mucosa. So they're not transmural, it's just the mucosal layer. And it's just the distal intestinal tract. It spares the small intestines. Hmm. You know, this is all coming back to me. I remember that big table in pathoma. Did you do pathoma? Oh, yeah. I remember it always had this silly little um, stat of like how smoking decreases your risk of ulcerative colitis. And that stuck with me forever. And, and whenever I tell patients like you need to quit smoking, it'll lower your risk for everything. In the back of my head, I'm thinking, but it's going to raise their risk of ulcerative colitis. <laughs> what an interesting takeaway. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's one of those random things you think about. I don't like to be dishonest. So it's like, I don't oh ever gosh. tell patients that, of course. I tell them I really all the time. Really want to like, tell them that. But... Yeah, I can't really tell them that because then it'll be like, Hey, the doctor told me I need to keep smoking so I don't get ulcerative colitis. <laughs> anyway, 
I don't know if that's still true. I just remember the line from Bathoma. So, hey, the presentation here, Crohn's disease is going to be crampy abdominal pain, chronic diarrhea, fatigue, weight loss. Think autoimmune disease, but some belly stuff. You're never going to be diagnosing either of these in the ED. It's just not going to happen. You can think about it. That's really cool if you make the connection and think that it's inflammatory bowel disease. Good for you. They need to see GI. It's like there's nothing you can do in the ED to diagnose this. Now, they could have bloody stools too. You know, they may have be guaiac positive or whatever. And that may be during exacerbations only. They could just be having, you know, crampy chronic diarrhea every now and then. And ulcerative colitis patients will have almost always chronic bloody diarrhea. And usually it contains pus and mucus too. They can have tenismus, that feeling of always wanting to have a bowel movement. The question stems for ulcerative colitis patients sometimes mention pain worse with bowel movements like, you know, nocturnal diarrhea as well too. Now the extra intestinal manifestations of IBD are common. They happen like half of patients, which I was shocked to learn that because you think, oh, it's just GI and every now and then they'll get some rash or something like that. It's crazy how much other stuff can happen with these. And there's just so much we still don't understand about inflammatory bowel disease and autoimmune diseases in general. These include joint manifestations, you know, arthritis, they could have eye manifestations, they could have liver involvement as well. Now, the most common extra intestinal manifestation, and it's one of those silly little board stats you have to know, is non-erosive peripheral arthritis. So basically just joint pain arthritis. You don't have to know the name, but just know in the test, if they say they have IBD, what are they most at risk for? It's some type of autoimmune arthritis involving the large joints, like 20% of the time, which is a significant number in these patients. Now, okay, if we can't diagnose this in the ED, we just refer you know, to GI for endoscopy or, or we admit them, you know, if something else is going on, or they're critical enough to be admitted, they would potentially undergo endoscopy in the hospital. But what are we doing in the ED instead? Something that ED physicians are actually really good at. <laughs> We're really good at referring people to GI for endoscopy. We're also really good yeah. at ordering CT. <laughs> We're good at looking for complications of yes. things and getting CTs to look at those complications. That's so, a nice way to put it. Yes. I'm looking for your complications. I'm going to order a yes. CT to do that. I agree. Um, so suggestive findings of Crohn's disease or inflammatory bowel, any inflammatory bowel disease on CT, which you don't need to know this for your test, but just for mm -hmm. your general knowledge, um, like bowel wall thickening, destruction of the mucosa is sometimes visible, mesenteric edema, you know, obviously like swelling in that area. And then the complications like fistula and abscesses. Um, so like I mentioned, I get CT and tell patients I'm getting these to look for your complications. Um, mm -hmm. But only really do that if you suspect one of the surgical emergencies or if the patient has an acute abdomen. You don't just get that to diagnose their Crohn's disease. That's not no. indicated whatsoever. Um, in, in terms of imaging, there's a higher proportion of clinically actionable findings in patients that present with new or worsening GI symptoms that are secondary to Crohn's when you compare it to ulcerative colitis as well. Yeah, a common board question about a patient presenting with recurrent perianal abscesses or anal fissures at other places other than the posterior midline. These are classic stems related to inflammatory bowel disease. Specific to perianal disease, if you suspect a deeper infection, below the perianal disease, like deep into the rectum, sigmoid colon, all that kind of stuff, the CT is going to be indicated here. If you feel like learning more about perianal stuff too, we do have a hand on our website that we produced a while back. Um, and it covers pretty much everything you need to know about common anal disorders, hemorrhoids, anal fissures, anal abscess, when to get a CT, when to not to, you know, that kind of thing. And we have that on our website. You can check out emboardbombs.com along with our other uh, handouts that we have. And we, of course, we have the Rapid Bombs podcast, which covers 
perianal diseases as well. So what you're looking to suspect, you know, and when you're looking for complications, you're getting the usual labs. You can consider CRP. It's not going to make an impact for you. Again, you're just getting these things to help the inpatient team. Majority of the time, if you're that concerned about it and they have Crohn's disease and they look unwell for Crohn's flare, they're going to be admitted to the hospital. It's nine times out of 10. And so that's typically the course that you play with the workup of these patients. Now, in terms of complications, Marlena, why don't you talk about these? Because this is where it's the most board testable and where you can make the greatest impact in their care. Because otherwise, if it's really just your typical quote unquote Crohn's flare or ulcer colitis flare, you're giving them IV fluids, you're correcting electrolytes, you're admitting to the hospital. Yeah. So we mentioned that penetration of the bowel wall by ulcerations can result in complications like perforation of the bowel, abscess, fistula, and fissures. Um, the chronic inflammatory processes can cause strictures that lead to intestinal instruction or even toxic megacolon. The ultimate pro wrestler name. If I had a pro wrestling team, that would be number one on my list. <laughs> toxic megacolon. I'd be afraid. Flying in from Monterey, Mexico. What would your finishing move be if you were toxic? I'm not Megacolin? sure. I'm not sure. It would be on par with The Undertaker. Something just epic <laughs> walk-in music. But <laughs> anyway, continue so, on with this. So obviously, obstruction, perforation, megacolon, and intra-abdominal abscesses are surgical emergencies. Um, toxic megacolon itself seems to get a lot of attention on your boards. Rightly despite... so. It's a pro wrestling team. Yeah. Yeah. It's dangerous. <laughs> It has a finishing move that will be announced at a later date. (laughs) Um, So, you know, even though it only happens in like 1% or less of patients, uh, definitely look out for that on your boards. Um, Those patients are going to have acutely worsening abdominal pain, distension, signs of peritonitis. They're going to look systemically ill. You know, you're probably going to do these things anyway before you even know what's going on, which is broad spectrum antibiotics, IV fluids, calling your surgical consultants. Um, definitely once you know there's toxic megacolon or any kind of perforation for that matter. And if the patient's like too unstable to get to CT, remember that like there is some utility in, in a bowel x-ray, you can see like super distended colon and you can see free air if you, if you want to get that before you call surgery mm-hmm. or if they're peritonitic, just call surgery. Other complications that are less scary, but still exist, uh, anemia, chronic B12 and iron deficiency. I feel like that was a really big thing on like your early step exams. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the whole like ileum and bloody diarrhea, et cetera. Um, you can also get kidney stones. That's pretty common from fat malabsorption. So when fat isn't absorbed, it accumulates in your gut, it binds calcium, and then there's oxalate. And we know oxalate makes kidney stones. Um, so that's a risk factor there. Um, there's some other associated autoimmune conditions that can present to the ED in Crohn's patients, ankylosing spondylitis, pyoderma gangrenosum, erythema nodosum, and uveitis. Um, <laughs> I actually, so our minor care area has like an extra computer next to it that has an extra dragon. And the ophthalmologists at my shop have figured out that like they can kind of like just use dragon to dictate their notes when they come see our patients in minor care. Mm-hmm. And one day, uh, ophthalmology I love the keyword, uh, minor care, <laughs> minor care <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and ophthalmology came and saw this patient with uveitis and they were dictating their note and they were mentioning that like the patient did not have bloody diarrhea. And in my head, I was like, I was an ophthalmologist asking a patient about their diarrhea. And then I was reading this podcast and I was like, oh, it's a Crohn's disease thing. Yeah. 
Exactly. Do, do your ophthalmologist, uh, as well as the one at my shop, do they have at the bottom of their note, like a paragraph of all the abbreviations they use? Oh, no, that's wonderful, though. Yeah. Wow. It's like a, it's like maybe a paragraph or two long of like all the abbreviations that they could possibly have used in their note. It's like an alphabet soup. It's It's interesting. That's probably nice for the patients. I found this website that you can copy an ophthalmologist note and paste it into, and it spits out a translation. That's hilarious. That's great. I feel like <laughs> what you just read a second ago, by the way, ankylosing spondylitis, pyodomagranulosum, erythema adenosum, uveitis. If you read that to any lay person, they'd be like, what Harry Potter book is that from? <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, the amount totally of just right. like strange medical phrases in that, in that term in there. Anyway. Well, speaking of weird Harry Potter-like yeah, keep medical going. phrases, Let's do one more. ulcerative colitis is associated with erythema nodosum, aphthous stomatitis, episcleritis, transaminitis, and primary sclerosing cholangitis, with the last one being a common thing on boards, oh, the man, association board's between UC and, and PSC. Sure is. Hey, let's so, like, get to the are, practical world here. What are we going to do? Yeah. What are we going to do here? What are we going to do with these do? patients? <laughs> well, you're not going to do too much other than the critical role of being the primary resuscitationalist, which means they're going to come in for flares a lot. And it's our job to resuscitate them, restore fluid and electrolyte balance, evaluate, control pain, fever, nausea. And then you're going to stratify them based on their risk of complications requiring, you know, emergent intervention. If they have an obstruction or an abscess or fistula or a toxic megacolon, cue the horns again. And management is also going to depend on, you know, why the patient's there. Always going to rehydrate them. You are always going to think about infectious complications. I wouldn't routinely start IV antibiotics on these patients. Uh, that's not been 100% shown to be worth it. I also would not start IV steroids in these patients. They ultimately could possibly get IV steroids in the hospital, but it's always good to wait for GI input on this. Um, this isn't something that needs to be done right away. This isn't like temporal arteritis where you need to start IV steroids, you know, immediately. Uh, this isn't as common as COPD exacerbations where you give IV steroids as well for an exacerbation. This is a little bit different. And I believe most specialists, if not all would agree, just hold off on that. Nothing you do in the ED is that critical to start IV steroids, unless you have such a strong relationship with your GI uh, cons consultants, or they dropped a note already, or they know the patient's there and they say, Hey, we're going to see him tomorrow. Can you please go ahead and order steroids for us? I wouldn't just willy nilly order random steroids on people with chronic diarrhea <laughs> yeah, and or uh, Crohn's flare. I wouldn't do that. And absolutely do not ever send these patients home with a steroid prescription. These patients are being admitted. Uh, don't, don't do that. In ulcerative colitis only, uh, you know, colectomy, unfortunately is curative. It's so sad when young patients have to undergo this and it should be considered if patients are having uncontrolled disease complications. Again, you're not making that choice, but patients that have severe symptomatology from ulcerative colitis or Crohn's, they're going to be admitted to the hospital and that decision-making can happen outside your purview. So the main thing is fluids, hydration, pain and nausea control, looking for, you know, septic sources if they are febrile with abdominal pain and considering the fact that they could have an emergency like toxic megacolon, abscess, perforation, et cetera. And that's really much the, uh, the disposition here too. You'll want to admit patients with flares that are severe. Again, that's someone that has worsening anemia, maybe greater than six bloody bowel movements a day, depending on how they look. And then of course, concerning laboratory findings too, and naturally all the surgical emergencies. And that is really about it. Anything else? Uh, no, just if you're sending a patient home, make sure that they know that they need to have close follow-up with their GI. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Close follow-up and make sure that you tell them to uh, not start smoking, even though there is a small reduced risk associated with uh, smoking, you don't get uh, ulcerative colitis as much.
It's very important. Pro tip, if uh, at your shop, you probably want to figure out uh, who takes care of this, GI or colorectal. Mm -hmm. uh, otherwise, you may get some, some snappy responses when you mm -hmm. call the wrong team. God knows that never happens to us. It's yes, like it's really happens. rare. Yes. Um, and we take it really, you know, to heart. It hurts my feelings all the time. So yes. I just wouldn't yes. ever want that to happen to any of you. No, especially if they're playing golf. I hate that. <laughs> I thought you were going to say um, public service announcement and make sure you know the designated smoking areas outside the hospital campus. <laughs> <laughs> just to make congratulate, sure. Congratulate those patients on their reduced risk of Crohn's disease. Yes, exactly. Thank God. All right. Thanks for listening. We will see you next time, Marlena. Always a pleasure. Looking forward to seeing you again soon. Happy to be here. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. -bye. Bye.